What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 28 of the Triage Method podcast. Sorry I've been away for the last few weeks, but we had a nice replacement guest, Luke Hoffman, for two episodes. So hopefully you enjoyed those episodes. And we did miss last week, but now we are back on it again. So, Paddy, don't, how are you? Don't, you don't, don't forget, we also had Callum Raisendick, like. Oh, yeah, we also had Callum, Callum Raisendick. That was three weeks worth. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, when you were gone for four weeks because you're scum-like. I mean, we have a business to run and you just go off traipsing in Bali and Indonesia and wherever else. Like, What was the crack with that? Oh, I was just trying to fucking, I was get, trying to get one up on you because you were do, doing all this nature stuff, like trekking around and squatting on trees and stuff. I was like, man, I got to go and do some of that. And Kerry's, Kerry's just not good for that, you know? Yeah, bullshit. That's literally just three minutes from my house. You have literally to ring a Kerry out your back door, like. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about today? No one cares about us talking shite. What they want to hear is something helpful for them in terms of actually advancing their health, fitness, life, whatever it is that we fucking do here. Um, so what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk a little bit about exercise selection. And obviously this is something we've touched on in the past, but I think you've kind of been warmed up for the, in the two episodes with Luke, you know, talking about the kind of micro-anatomical considerations and then talking a little bit more about some of the exercise mechanics considerations. And today, I think what we want to touch on is, you know, what actually makes a good exercise for hypertrophy? Because I think, you know, a lot of people think that they're not interested in hypertrophy when in fact they are. Because, you know, an exercise that is good for hypertrophy or muscle building is going to serve anyone that's trying to get massive. It's going to serve anyone that's trying to just get that toned body for the summer. But it's also going to serve people who are trying to, you know, have a resilient body, a healthy body, healthy joints, because all of these things do cross over, especially when it comes to the principles of exercise. So that's kind of what we want to look at today, starting with kind of a discussion of what actually makes a good exercise. Or, or No, I think we'll finish with what makes a good exercise. Rather, we'll start with what the kind of principles are of, you know, hypertrophy or, or at least on a simple level when it comes to the actual exercise. Don't want to talk about a, a more mechanistic discussion, rather just talk about the starting point. So so, Paddy, so, so basically think, what you're saying is by the end of this episode, people, if they've listened to the last two episodes with a boy, uh, if they've listened to those and then they layer this on top of it, they should know what exercises to choose, perhaps. what Well, maybe not the actual exercises to choose, but the thought process that should go behind choosing exercises. Um, and then also how they could potentially change their training, the training that they're currently doing to a quote-unquote more optimal program. What else are they going to learn? Is that it? Yeah, so what you're going to learn is firstly, like I think the most important thing to learn about anything is is the principles that are actually involved in something because, you know, everyone everyone is so lost among methods and tools that they have to ask, you know, what the best exercise is. And, you know, I, I think that's slightly flawed in that if, you've to, if you have to ask what the best exercise is, then you've kind of missed the point in terms of the actual principles. So that's what we want to start with is what are the principles of a good exercise? And then that empowers you to go forward and make okay, decisions because so that's what's really important. You keep saying these like mechanisms of hypertrophy. What are, like, what are you talking about here? Are you talking about like stuff like maybe the work that Brad Schoenfeld has done or are you talking about some sort of, you know, 
biochemical stuff or what's the crack like what what what, 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 what what's going on yeah i think brad's brad's stuff is kind of a good starting point because you know like what what brad schoenfeld contributed in terms of the mechanisms of hypertrophy was that there's kind of three pillars and that's mechanical tension metabolic stress and muscle damage and i'm not really going to I don't, I don't really want us to get into the mechanisms, especially not the metabolic stress and muscle damage, because I'm actually not convinced that people need to consider them or worry about them, especially not muscle damage. I don't think that's even helpful to consider. I think metabolic stress is, mm, it's, it's speculative as to, to whether or not you need to consider it. I think it's more so augmenting mechanical tension. So I, I think it's just more helpful from an actual exercise selection perspective to look purely at mechanical tension. So when we talk about that mechanical tension the big thing you know i said to you earlier patty when we were talking about you know what podcast we were we were going to choose is i want people to know what mechanical tension means and what it doesn't mean because you see a lot of extrapolations when people people will refer to the pillars of the mechanisms like from brad's work and they'll say mechanical tension is the prime driver of hypertrophy Therefore, that means that you have to choose heavy compound barbell exercises and lift heavy to get the most from that um, mechanism. And that's simply that that's not what it actually means. Like mechanical tension, like on a, on a fundamental level, is the actual tension that is placed on an individual fiber, more specifically on the proteins within that fiber that leads to mechanotransduction, which is essentially converting that mechanical signal into a chemical signal, which leads to all the downstream effects that then potentiate muscle growth. So that's what we're actually looking at in terms of like, if we were to break an exercise down into its most fundamental piece, it's that tension on that individual muscle fiber. So that like, that, that doesn't discriminate on barbells. It doesn't discriminate on machines. It, it's just that we need to get that tension there. And everything after that is simply a method or a tool to achieve that. So like pe people kind of get confused, you know, with, with the whole metabolic stress and muscle damage thing. Um, and they kind of, you know, they might change their exercise selection based on those things. I don't think you should, which is why for this, for this episode, we'll focus purely on mechanical tension. We can talk about those things another time. So that's kind of our starting point. Have you anything to add there in terms of the mechanism, what people should be thinking about, what they maybe should get out of their heads or what are your thoughts? No, but just to kind of clarify with what you're saying there as well, because it is a common enough thought process in terms of using weight on the bar firstly as a metric of overload. Like I actually, I would actually rather see someone, you know, progressively overloading the weight on the bar and, you know, getting some sort of tension on the muscle, even if it isn't an ideal amount of tension. Cool. I'd still like to see you be progressing. But what people kind of do in their mind is they have these delineations and these like it's just, oh, this this is this is where I am in my mind and, oh, that's outside of it. And when you say tension and when you say putting the maximum amount of tension on a muscle, people do conflate that with max effort compound sets. And when I say even max effort, people go, that's like singles, doubles and triples. And, and that's, I have to be getting stronger in that rep range. And it's like this almost powerlifting style training that has to be done. But that's not what you're, when, you, when you're talking about tension, you're just talking about simple tension in terms of there's actual tension on the musculature. And this is what people kind of don't seem to have straight in their heads in terms of they, they, they look for that strength or they look to build strength and they look, okay, Gary said, put tension on the muscles and get stronger, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of think that means singles, doubles, triples. And that's just not the case, you know? So 
first of all, tension is across all rep ranges. Yeah. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get tension on the muscles. And getting stronger is not limited to, you know, singles, doubles, triples, or, or fives. No one does fours. No, oh, no. no Don't do that, Gary. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's not limited to that. You know, it's not just like, oh, you do six reps and all of a sudden it's hypertrophy work so it's it's all tension at the end of the day and this is where some of the discussion on like volume and intensity and like all that kind of stuff does kind of miss the forest for the trees because it is tension at the end of the day and they're just measures or hopefully they're just proxy measures for the amount of tension that was placed on a muscle you know and with that as well people do have this kind of boxed off segmented view in their head where when you say get stronger and you say put more tension on a muscle they have and we've talked about it before this view in their mind that it's it's almost very powerlifting specific in terms of oh that just means your compound sets that just mean or that just means your compound lifts where it's just you know on your squat bench deadlift and maybe your overhead press and you kind of forget about the the more isolation work because oh that's just ah like i just do it it's it, it, it's accessory work it's it's just you know it's just something that i do whereas if you're actually looking at this with the more, we'll call it mechanistic level, everything you choose and everything you put in your program is there for a specific reason. And that specific reason is to put tension on a specific muscle or musculature or whatever. And again, with that as well, I know this kind of offends people, but the squat bench deadlift are not the king of exercises. It's just they are really good exercises for a vast majority of people to put tension on some key areas and therefore get a good response or good growth, you know? So they're, they're not the king of all exercises. And I hate when people use that argument going, oh, you must squat or you must bench or you must deadlift. And it's like, that's cool for you. If it fits you, it's suited for your, or your body suited for it. And then people use all these arguments like, oh, they, they even use these quasi, we'll call them neurological arguments being like, oh, look at all the, the, the nervous system activation in this. Well, like I could pick a shit ton of bodyweight exercises that have way more neurological or require way more neurological coordination to do and actually get more tension on the musculature that you aren't loading with a barbell, you know? So it's like this, this, your argument is flawed because you're not actually going down to what you like to call like the first principles in terms of at the end of the day, your muscles only know tension, you know? And ideally, yeah, we're, we're talking about tension through full ranges of motion for your musculature or your joints and again even full range of motion that's kind of a bastardized terminology but you know you're, you're taking it through the range of motion that that is available at that joint and that doesn't mean you have to ever touch a barbell that doesn't mean you have to ever touch a dumbbell you could achieve that with body weight exercises and you look at people from eras past and they have juicy physiques and it's like what did they do oh they did uh, loads of push-ups uh, or like lunges or whatever and it's like yeah okay so you having this emotional attachment to a barbell doesn't mean that it's the king of all exercises it may be a great exercise for you to put tension on the musculature that you want to target but that does not mean that it is the best most effective awesome super fantastic thing you know yeah and, and i think like the one, the one point i really wanted to bring up was like you touched on a good few of the points there that are relevant to it, but the cognitive dissonance of it all, because, you know, a lot of the, um, like a lot of the modern day gym bros who would be very, you know, into their, their science, their, their evidence-based approaches and whatnot. What they'll do is they'll look at the older school bodybuilders, let's say, and they'll, 
they'll laugh at the idea that, you know, oh, you just have to eat chicken and broccoli six times a day or tilapia or, you know, the 10 magic foods. They'll laugh at that approach, that six meals a day approach, that, you know, food specific approach. And if someone was to turn around to them and say that, um, oh, no, you should eat all these foods because Dorian did that or because Jay Cutler did that or because Ronnie Coleman did that. If someone turned around and said that to them, they would literally be like, you are an absolute idiot. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But then the exact same person will turn around and say to you that you need to do the squat bench deadlift. You need to base all your workouts on barbell exercises because uh, have you seen all the guys that have gotten big in the past? Have you seen Jay? Have you seen Ronnie? Have you seen Dorian? They did all these exercises and they were big. So clearly we need to do it. And it's, it's just, it's just clear from everyone that's ever gotten big in the gym. This is what you need to do. And it's like, it's like, they can't even see like the fact that, that, that there's no consistency in the logic there because like, yeah, we know that, you know, all those food-based approaches, they can actually be excellent approaches and they can take you towards that goal, much like a more IFYM based approach might take you to the same goal. Because again, both of those are different methods that are acting on the same actual principle to take you toward the goal, whether it's fat loss or muscle gain or whatever. And it's the exact same thing when it comes to exercise selection. Like you do not like, like obviously you guys kind of know this by now from, from our conversation and from where we're going to go from here, but you do not necessarily need to use barbells to develop a certain amount of muscle mass. You do not need to use dumbbells to develop a certain amount of muscle mass. They are simply tools because Neither of those things are the only way of getting to that fiber level tension that we're actually looking for. And even if you did want to go back and, and look at the, the kind of more anecdotal evidence, then like Dorian Yates, he, he didn't squat. It didn't feel good to him. He did leg presses. And, you know, people kind of fail, fail to look at those, those examples of where people maybe didn't adhere to, to the classic, you know, barbell exercises. So that's kind of where we want to go from from here. But what are your thoughts on that kind of logic, Paddy? Is that something you see that's prevalent? Yeah, 100%. You just see people going, oh, you have to do this exercise because – and you forget even about the, the bro approach to it, like, oh, Dorian did this or whoever else, insert your idol here, did this. Like, they look at the research, and because the research said, oh, squats for 10 sets per week of squats is optimal or whatever the current research says on a particular exercise, they're like, oh, yeah, I have to do that exercise. And it's like – you're just changing your idol, but you're not actually looking into the thought process that goes into this, you know, and that's hopefully what we're going to touch on in this episode, the actual understanding behind it all, rather than just switching idols and following gurus, whether they are scientific gurus or not, that's not what we want to do. Like what, like what we always try to do is give you the why behind things, you know, and, and ideally that's what I want you to get from, all of these episodes is understanding like, okay, why am I choosing this exercise or why are we choosing this dietary approach or this lifestyle approach or whatever it is, you know, like that's, that's what you should be getting from all of these conversations. But yes, Gary, I fully agree with you. There is this cognitive dissonance where people don't apply their logic across all their thought processes. Like they'll happily laugh at that bro in the gym going, I eat chicken, broccoli and rice. But then they're like, oh, well, I squat bench deadlift because the research says that and look at all these juicy guys that got big squat bench deadlift. And it's like, this is it's the exact same thought process. But I do want to also emphasize to people that 
This is not us saying that, oh, you shouldn't do those exercises. They may be wonderful exercises yeah. for you. They may be perfect exercises for you. In fact, I am very partial to a squat. I'm very partial to a deadlift. <laughs> Bench press, not so much. Um, but th- this is not us saying, oh, don't do those lifts ever. We're saying have a thought process that is logically coherent, hopefully, uh, behind why you chose those exercises, not just, oh, I'm following this guy who told me the science said this, because even though we're saying like we're quoting science or whatever, uh, people generally don't read the science for themselves. What they do is they look at their, their idol researcher person or fit fitness, Instagram fitspo that reads research and just listen to what he has to say uh, on the research. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. All you're doing is replacing idols. You're not actually understanding things yourself. No. Yeah, and, and I think the thing is, like, these conversations, it's it's actually, it's empowering for everyone involved if you can just open up your mind to this stuff because it's about being able to have an open conversation so that your toolbox is now wider going forward. Like, I don't expect anyone to to end, to end come to the end of this podcast and take squats, bench, and deadlift out of their program. That's not what we're looking for. Just like when we talk about nutrition and we say that you can be flexible with your diet, you needn't be specific to certain foods. We're not saying that that steak and chicken and eggs and broccoli are bad. Like we we all include them in our in our diets a lot of the time. It's just that you needn't just do those, and they mightn't always be the best path to your goals. So it's the same with exercise. So that's kind of where we want to go from here is to give you guys some principles because I think this is something that people don't really do very well is actually put principles in place uh, as it, as it relates to exercise selection. And the thing is, you can get ridiculously specific with this stuff, like to the point where you have a very specific resistance profile and and the, the perfect exercise and everything. That's not practical for most people, which is why we want to give you a selection of principles. And one of the things that I that I put together a while ago um, for the Creator Agency event was was a stars checklist. So it's a stars checklist for exercise selection, and it goes like hey, the first S is, is specificity, and it's a pretty simple one, but specificity, how well does this challenge the target muscles? And, you know, if, if you guys want this afterwards, we'll just post it on our Instagram and you can, can get a better idea of what this stuff actually means and what the checklist is. But how well does this actually challenge the target muscles? And that's a very simple question, one that should be very obvious, but one that a lot of people people fail to, to, to acknowledge. You know, time and time again, I come across people who have been bench pressing for three years. Their chest hasn't developed at all. And they're still bench pressing in the belief that it's the best chest exercise for them. But when they actually train it, they don't necessarily feel much tension on their chest musculature and they don't necessarily feel any soreness or any development. And it's not really just getting the job done for them. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the exercise itself is bad. It could be execution. It could be some technical adjustments that need to be made, whether it's the range of motion, the tempo, whatever. But it just means that you need to ask yourself that question, how specific is this exercise for my goal? You know, and, and it's the same with something like a squat, for example. You know, how, how specific is your squat to quadriceps development? So, for example, if you if you if you're individual biomechanics, your injury history, whatever it is, if when you squat, you have a lot of forward lean and you find it very difficult, difficult to get into a deep position and you find that your hips, your lower back take the brunt of the load, then going at that exercise and saying that this is your main quadriceps exercise is not really adhering to that principle of specificity because um, like by your own identification, like you've identified already that it's not really effective. Therefore it's not taking that specificity box. So, you know, obviously 
with specificity then it, it obviously gets more specific the closer you go towards an isolation exercise so for example if you really wanted to be specific to your quadriceps development then clearly a leg extension is a very specific way of doing that and again it's not just about saying that everything should be an isolation exercise because as you'll see there's a lot more to the rest of the checklist and then you can think about how everything pieces together so you know th that that's step one specificity any additional thoughts on that patty any exercise examples that you feel people are, are particularly you know likely to just do without actually hitting the target muscle or well generally it's the more compound lifts purely because at least people go into the the more isolation lifts with the thought process that i'm trying to isolate a musculature or a muscle an individual muscle like you don't go into bicep curls well you can argue that the people do go into bicep curls in the gym and they're just throwing weights around and they're not getting any sort of bicep pump. But generally what you'll see is people go or approach their isolation work and either alter their technique or use a light enough weight where they are actually feeling the target muscle actually working. So generally it's going to be the compound lifts that people do just shit the bed on where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna mm -hmm. I'm just gonna do these because this is what everyone has to do. Like people will do chin ups and they won't have a, a, a enough degree of supination in their hands to actually be in a hanging position with their arms overhead. And it's like, oh well, chin ups build juicy biceps and juicy backs, so I have to do them. Same with like overhead pressing. It's like with a barbell, like oh, have to do an overhead press, like a standing overhead press because it's functional. And it's like, okay, cool. You just you you don't have the, the abduction is it arm overhead uh, abduction of the shoulder you just can't you can't get your arm overhead into that position you know and it's like why, why are you doing these exercises when clearly your body is not fit to do these exercises and it's just like when you read them it's like oh well this program said to do it and you see this online as well and it kind of it kind of pisses me off but at the same time i kind of agree uh, so take that for what you want and um, where people were like or the exercise on this program was X, whatever exercise. And you'll see someone in, in the comments or the forum or whatever it is saying, oh, can I do this exercise instead of this? And people will be like, oh, well, if you do that, then it's not the, it's not the program. Like say, I don't know, pick for example, like when there's five, three, one or something, people will be like, oh, can I do incline bench press rather than the overhead press? And people will be like, oh, well, then it's not the same thing. Like, this is just fucking stupid. Like, why would you even think that? And it's like, maybe they just don't have the ability to do the overhead press. You know, it just doesn't suit their body. And you just having this very singular focused viewpoint that, oh, you have to do these exercises or, you know, fuck off. Uh, it, it doesn't actually help anyone <laughs> or it doesn't help inform anyone on the conversation as a whole. Yeah, and, and the thing as well with, the, with the, the whole specificity thing is that, like, I don't want people to take away from this that you need to hyper-focus on specificity and that everything should be isolated. Because obviously, your goal is not just like, oh, today I'm just training front delts, or this week I'm just training front delts. Like, for example, an overhead press, it might serve the purpose of taking care of some of your front delt, maybe a little bit of mid delt, maybe some, some of that volume, and then it's serving the purpose of working your triceps as well, maybe even a little bit of core stability. Like maybe that's something that you're actually thinking about, but it's just about considering, right, how specific is this toward my goal? Because a lot of people do have very specific goals where they're saying, right, these 12 weeks, I'm dedicating these to developing my chest. It's my main goal. Then in that case, your goal is to fill that, to choose exercises that are most specific to that muscle group. Okay, so that's step one. Tick the box of specificity. Then you move on to a very quick one, 
and that's time. Is this an efficient use of my time? And this is one of the ones I included in here to kind of, I guess, make sure that everyone doesn't go away and just try to isolate absolutely everything. Because for example, let's say a deadlift is an exercise you really enjoy. You feel it fits you quite well. It's comfortable. Then it's an exercise that is a very time efficient way of stimulating your glutes, your hamstrings, your spinal erectors, some of the other core musculature, your lats a little bit, your, your traps, your rhomboids. You know, it's taking care of a lot of things and giving you a good whole body training stimulus. So from a time efficiency perspective, that could be helpful. But then, you know, conversely, if you're going into the gym and you're saying, what's the best way I could possibly stimulate my hamstrings today? Like it mightn't be the, the most time efficient strategy to go and do a deadlift if the goal was just hamstrings, because you're fatiguing your whole body. There's a lot of systemic fatigue involved there. You're fatiguing all of the other muscles. You're going to have to have, you know, a lot of warm up sets involved, a good break between your sets, whereas you could have just done some leg curls. So again, it's, it's really about asking yourself what the specific goal is as per step one, and then saying what's the most time efficient strategy to actually achieve that. So like if, if it is a case that at the start of your workout, you do your deadlift to kind of stimulate the gross musculature um, of the posterior chain. And then what you do is you move on to the most time efficient strategy of addressing maybe the weak point. So maybe you are a female, you're looking to develop your glutes. You might want to do some additional glute work rather than hamstring work because that is your specific goal and that's the time efficient strategy. So with the time component, it works both ways. Compound movement may be a really effective time efficient strategy. It may not be a time efficient strategy depending on the actual goal there. Do you think there's anything else that's relevant in, the, in that time frame discussion? No, I think you covered it pretty well as you usually do. Um, but yeah, I think if people just kind of get that into their mind where we're not saying that any exercises are inherently bad. We're just saying that there should be a thought process behind these exercises for you as an individual, uh, whether they're compound exercises. Again, like the isolation, again, quote unquote, isolation exercises, people generally do quite well because they have a clear goal in mind. But with the compound lifts, they do seem to just follow this kind of dogma where it's like, oh, I have to do this exercise because X person said it or because X study said it. And it's like this, like... uh, maybe it's just terrible for your goals maybe it's just terrible for your anatomy your biomechanics so you would be best served not having it in your program and getting volume and and tension on the musculature from better exercises or better i don't know what you want to say movements because again like i do believe that there there should be some sort of a distinction between like movements and exercise in terms of like you could be doing Again, one of these compound movements, I put that in quotes again, because I do actually hate those terms, isolation and compound. Um, but you could be doing some movements because they are required for your sport, for example, or they are something that you do in everyday life that you want to be stronger at. Like deadlifting, again, like if you're saying, oh, I want to grow the juiciest glutes ever, you know, deadlifting may not be the best exercise for you, but maybe you work in i don't know a factory or something where you're constantly moving heavy boxes around and you actually just want to get strong picking stuff off the ground and moving it around again it all comes back to identifying what your goals are and then having a rationale and a thought process behind choosing exercises to either target those goals and they could be like movement specific goals like i'm saying or they could be more muscle specific goals because i kind of think the fitness industry as a whole does kind of always have the conversation centered around the aesthetic side of things 
And it kind of does detract from the overall the thought process, if you want to call it that, because there is more to it than just looking a certain way or building a certain muscle or growing a certain muscle. Like the, the reason we find these things aesthetic is because it, it does hint at, you know, a movement capacity, you know, but you have to be very clear in your goals. Like maybe you don't want that movement capacity. Like I would argue if you're a bodybuilder, man, stop trying to be athletic. Stop trying to be you know, or have this movement capacity, you should be fucking stabilizing everything, locking down joints, having as minuscule stabilizer muscles uh, working, and you just want to get as much tension on the target muscles as humanly possible if you were a bodybuilder. However, although the fitness industry seems to always idolize those people because, well, they know what they're doing because look at them, he's huge where we really shouldn't because the average person doesn't actually want that. You know, like I always think of Ben Pekulski because I actually really like Ben Pekulski. I like his podcast as well because he kind of talks talks about his life and his transition from being a bodybuilder. And he, he said in one of his episodes, he was like, oh, like when he was competing, he would even say to his wife when they're moving or something or someone's asking, oh, can you move like, uh, I don't know, a fridge or something? And he's like, no, I'm all show and no go. Like he's like, if you want something moved, you know, get a, a professional mover to do that for you. You know, like that's, that's what his goal. He was like, I don't want to, he doesn't want to injure himself. He doesn't even want to increase his risk of injury. He's like, Oh, I don't want, he perhaps he doesn't, isn't able to do it. He doesn't have those ranges of motion. However, he looked fucking damn juicy on stage because that was his goal. However, the, the general population generally have this view that, Oh, I can look like that, but function in a way that I want to. And it's not necessarily the case, you know? So again, it all comes back to actually effective goal setting and what you're actually looking to achieve. Because again, we're talking about tension on the muscles here. Maybe you don't care about that. Maybe you just want to be able to move a certain way. However, even if that is your goal, I would argue learning and understanding the thought process behind what makes you effective at exercises and how you can potentially tweak those exercises so that you can actually achieve your goals is a good thing. You know, again, like say again, your, your goal is purely, I just want to overhead press 100 kilos for whatever reason, you know, it's just a goal of yours. And understanding how the shoulders work, how you can maybe manipulate your body so that you can have more tension and have a mechanical advantage or even less tension, you know, I'd argue again, something like a bench press or even a squat, maybe even a deadlift for powerlifting. You want to have as little tension on the body as possible. You just want to have it like, you know, basically bouncing off your fucking joint and like not non or non contractile tissue. Like you just want to be like, boom, okay, cool. <laughs> Didn't have to expand, expand. If I could speak today, expend any effort doing that. Um, but maybe your goal is to build juicy delts. So, like again, it all comes back to your goal, what you're actually trying to achieve. So you have to understand that, and then if you understand the thought process behind maximizing tension on the muscle or potentially minimizing tension on the muscle then you can more effectively choose exercises for your goal more effectively tailor your program to your overall goals again it just comes back to having that goal and then having a thought process behind your exercise selection to help you achieve that goal mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think it's a funny one because you see like like mobility for example is is very kind of trendy at the moment i'm going to say where everyone's you know into having control of extreme ranges and, you know, stretching to be able to attain these extreme ranges because it's, you know, somewhat functional in some way. But like, if you're a power lifter, you want to be able to harness the tightness 
in those bottom positions. Like you don't necessarily, if you're, if you're a powerlifter and you're at the bottom of your deadlift, you don't want to feel loose in that position. You want to be tight so that that can catapult you into the lift and get you moving. It's the same with a squat. The last thing you want is to come to the bottom of your squat and feel like you don't have any actual, you know, connective tissue to support you so that you can get out of that bottom position. You want that cue to get you going, you know, and it's, it's, you could even say the same for, for runners, for example, like I know a lot of runners will talk about, you know, the fact that they have got very tight hamstrings and they're like, it's completely okay. It makes me a more economical runner because when I stride, you know, and I put my foot down, it gives me that little bit of spring. So it, it, it actually helps them because remember it's muscle contraction that uses up energy. And if you're playing, if you're performing in a sport like that, it's actually, somewhat counterproductive to be using up the energy when you don't want to be using it. And that's not necessarily to say that you shouldn't do any mobility work or you should look to be as tight as possible if you're a runner. I'm just giving you that example of, of what some people in that field will actually say. And anyway, we got in a bit of a tangent there, but the next point that I wanted to make was accessibility. And that's a very, it's a very quick one to cover over. Is this piece of equipment in my gym? And you might think that's a stupid one to include in there, but I included it for two reasons. Firstly, stars is much easier to remember than stirs and also a lot of people get really upset when things aren't in their gym you know the, the amount of times i send someone a program and they'll be like oh my god i don't have this in my gym what am i gonna do this is the end of the world or you know they'll they'll be watching ben pakulski for example because his gym is essentially like heaven for anyone into bodybuilding they'll look at his gym and they'll be like Oh, I don't have that equipment. There's no way I can ever make gains. I may as well just give up now, you know? So a lot of people, especially in Ireland, I think we don't have access to the best gyms. A lot of people do train in like rundown GA gyms. You just have barrels, you just have free weights. And it's like, that's completely okay. You can still get the job done. But yeah, accessibility. If you don't have access to a machine, it's not going in your program, period. That's it. The next point is probably the, the most complex one because it's it's something we could really get into the nitty-gritty on and we probably won't for today we might, we might save it for another podcast but it, it's resistance and the point that that the question that I kind of pose at this one is is the exercise challenging in appropriate places and you may have heard us talk about this before where we talk about the resistance profile of an exercise and you know for example generally a cable fly is going to be superior to a dumbbell fly for chest development because at the bottom you're far weaker and you're, you're weaker in that stretch position and the moment arm to the shoulder which essentially just means that because the weight's really far away from your shoulder there's a big long lever it's much more difficult to move that load okay so it's really challenging where you're not very strong and then there's no load at the top so as you're as you're getting stronger in that mid-range it's getting easier and that's not necessarily what you want okay so resistance that's why that is a consideration. And, and I want to give people some, some examples here because I think it's, it's very difficult to explain the whole line of force, moment arm, exercise mechanics relationship here on a podcast. If you want to learn about that, join the triage militia. But to give you some examples, you're at the bottom of the squat, it's going to be most challenging. Okay. So that's the most difficult point because there's a greater challenge to both the knee joint and the hip joint and the joints of the spine at the bottom of the exercise. And this is typically why you will see people being more likely to bounce out of the bottom of a squat or compensate at the bottom of a squat by pushing their hips back and, and leaning forward a little bit more because that is where the challenge is greatest, okay? So the challenge is greatest there, and that's then why you'll see 
some people that are maybe thinking about exercise a little bit more use things like reverse bands you know and i've seen some people say that that bands are just a joke and that you shouldn't be using them at all and it's stupid and i just think that's completely reductionistic because reverse bands can actually be very useful in an exercise like a squat because what it does is it allows the weight to essentially get heavier as you get stronger because you're weakest at the bottom and the challenge is greatest and then if you have a reverse band, then the, the point at which it's applying the most tension is the bottom. So it's essentially deloading de a little bit. And then as you press up in your squat, you're getting stronger and the weight is essentially getting lighter because the band is getting less taut. And as a result, it evens out that resistance profile a little bit. Okay. So that, that's why you'll see people use them on exercises like squats. It's the same on a bench press because at the bench press or at the bottom of a bench press, you're essentially weakest. And again, the challenge is getting greater. So again, that's why you'll see people use reverse bands and a bench press to deload that bottom position and allow you to express your strength a little bit better. And that's actually why it's important because I think a lot of people think that using bands, reverse bands is just a way of making the exercise easier. And it's, it's actually not. And anyone that's actually used them will know that it's actually far harder because in a normal squat, if you squat down and you bounce out of the bottom, it's like once you've got out of that bottom quarter of the exercise it's actually pretty easy like realistically you could do half squats or quarter squats all day but when you use a, a reverse band essentially what you're doing is you're loading let's say 125 percent of what you'd normally lose use in a given rep range so that when you come to the bottom of the exercise you've deloaded that 25 percent so it's the same as what you normally use but that 25% is there for the rest of the exercise then as, as, you, as you actually move up. So it's a way of making the exercise far harder, not far easier. So that's a little bit of a misconception that I wanted to um, clear up. Yeah, and with, with that as well, like, again, it's just people completely misunderstanding the fundamentals of the, the modality that you're bringing in. Like people will have no problem lashing on a slingshot and bench pressing, even though it's, it's the exact same thing. You know, or people will have no problem going, oh, I'm doing my deadlifts first and then I'm going to do some rack pulls. And it's like, like, why are you doing rack pulls? It's like, oh, because you want to overload a certain portion of that lift. Hmm. You know what else allows you to do that? Reverse bands or bands even, you know, uh, say like the bench press as well. Like, oh, let's do some board presses. It's like, why, why are you minimizing the range here? Oh, yeah, because you're actually stronger in this other range and you want to overload that. So again, that whole argument against bands, chains, and that kind of stuff, I'm like, this just makes no sense because you're choosing exercises which are doing the same thing, but actually less effectively. Like even a board press, you know, if you lashed a reverse band onto a bench press or even a slingshot or something, you know, you can still get the same stimulus or potentially even a better stimulus that you would get from like a board press, especially if you got, you know, some sort of reverse band setup where the drop off towards the top literally matched the, the strength profile perfectly like you you could get a really really effective chest and tricep workout in there rather than having to do multiple different exercises to get achieve your goal so again like all this argument against bands chains reverse bands it just hurts my brain yeah but but i would also play devil's advocate there as well and say that look i do understand why people get frustrated when people use loads of bands because to be honest, most people use them very poorly. Like if you are going to use them, you need to use them as a an amount of tension that is essentially relative to the load that you're lifting. So putting a very light red band on a 150 kilo squat 
is worthless, you know. And also, you know, people will put far too much tension on the band, so it's essentially completely deloading the top position as well. And again, that's where I'm like, okay, I actually get it. You are kind of just stroking your ego, you know, allowing yourself to lift excessive amounts of load. So I get why people do get frustrated because some people do just kind of use them for the wrong reasons and don't necessarily use them to make the exercise harder. And it's more so just an attempt to look cool. And also you'll see people maybe use bands on exercises that don't, it, it doesn't make, make sense to use them. And I think like, I definitely did this like years ago as well, where you put a band on like a row variation, for example, because it makes it harder in that shortened position, but you don't necessarily want to do that. You don't want to make it harder in the shortened position. So it's just about understanding anatomy and understanding mechanics a little bit, and then you can use bands appropriately. But we'll do some some future talk or posts or videos on bands anyway, because I think that's something you actually need to see. But to get back to the resistance a little bit, again, is the exercise challenging in appropriate places? If you're doing exercises that you feel, you know, it's, it's only hard in one very specific place, then you could probably choose a better exercise. Like for example, if you do a cable lateral raise, it's generally going to be superior than a dumbbell lateral raise, okay? Because the dumbbell lateral raise is most challenging in that top position, whereas a cable lateral raise is going to give you, you know, the greatest challenge generally in the point where you're strongest in that middle of your range, getting a little bit easier at the bottom and a little bit easier at the top. And the whole point that that is important is because you're matching the resistance with your positions of strength and positions of weakness. And the end result of that is that you can push your sets further, okay? And it, it is about making things harder. It's not about making things easier, which is one of the misconceptions. Because, for example, if you're doing, let's go back to the bench press because it's probably the easiest one. If you're doing a bench press, like where do you fail? You fail at the bottom, okay? So let's say you fail at the bottom, but you've actually got a lot of strength left to express in the mid and the shortened range, especially the mid range, because that's where you're strongest. So if you're thinking about that, if you had done that with reverse bands, then what you end up doing is you don't end up failing at the bottom because you've deloaded it. So that's not going to be your first point of fatigue. And as a result, you're going to be able to express some more of that mid range strength. And if you try it, you will notice it. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of resistance. That's what we're talking about there. It's just something worth worth considering and asking yourself with respect to your own exercises because you will undoubtedly notice exercises that are just poor. You know, like the dumbbell tricep kickback is probably the most classic example. It's a terrible exercise. Like I'm not even going to make like, you know, some exercises you can be like, oh no, it depends on the context. It can be a good exercise. It's like, nah, there's always a better variation to a dumbbell tricep kickback because there's no there's no challenge except at the top and that's where you're weakest. So it just doesn't make a whole pile of sense. Um, but yeah, that's resistance. So have a think about your exercises. Think about are there exercises where you only feel tension in one very specific place and can you begin to manipulate that? You know, And if you have questions about specific exercises, don't hesitate to ask us. Um, but the next point I want to make as we go on to this, this next point is that your resistance profile does not necessarily need to be perfect, okay? You can you listen to this and you might feel like, oh, I need to put bands on everything. But realistically, there are so many improvements that you can make to your exercise execution and choices in general before ever getting to bands that you needn't necessarily worry about that right away. And this is a very important point, and this is point number five, the S, and that is stability, okay? When it comes to choosing an exercise for hypertrophy, you want to try and create stability either internally or externally, okay? So for example, an example of stability is doing a dumbbell preacher curl where you're 
your upper arm is supported on the bench, it's pressed down so that you can isolate your bicep that bit better rather than, you know, having your arm swinging in the air where you, you won't necessarily be able to isolate the bicep as well. So that's what, what stability actually refers to because the more stable you are, the more you can optimize your force production, okay? And a very easy easy way to kind of think of this is if you are doing, if you're doing a tug of war and it's a slippy field, if you're pulling, if you're pulling on that rope, but the field is slippy, it's like, yeah, you, you might be pulling and putting in your max effort and you might feel fatigued, but because your feet aren't planted, you're not able to express the maximum amount of force production. The same if you were trying to hold open a door, hold open a, or hold close the door while someone's trying to push it back against you. If you can get your foot back against the wall, you're going to be much stronger and people aren't going to be able to push you away quite as much. Okay. So that's, that's kind of stability in real life. And like, it's the reason that we are going to always choose a barbell back squat over a BOSU ball squat. You know, you, you don't want, you don't want to be on an, an unstable surface if you're trying to maximize muscular tension. So it's kind of like, it's not necessarily saying that stability means that everything has to be isolated. It just means you have to be kind of smart about it. So a BOSU ball, not stable, you know, a barbell back squat stable base but again what what do you have to do in a barbell back squat you have to create internal stability so you have to be able to move as a complex system you have to move all of your joints together and ensure that you're not moving out of that nice squat alignment if you want to maximize the tension on your quads so if you think about the example of a barbell back squat versus a leg press when you do a leg press your back and your hips are pressed down into the seat okay the seat or the pad so as a result no matter how hard you push uh, into the into the foot plate, your hips aren't going to go backwards. They can't shoot backwards. So any force that is being driven backwards into the seat is expressed through your quads slash glutes slash hip knee joint into that for, into that plate, and hence you can express more force. Whereas what you might see in a barbell back squat, if you're maybe not very technically proficient or you're not using a good technique for you, is that you can push as hard as you want at the bottom, but your hips could shoot back. And then that's essentially what wouldn't happen on a leg press. So your hips shoot back. And then as a result, you can't express the maximum amount of tension through your quadriceps. So you're, you're never going to optimize the tension on the quadriceps muscles on those individual fibers we were talking about if your hips are shooting back at the bottom of the squat. So again, it, it's just an example of where you're required to create internal stability. You might be very good at it, or you might not be very good at it. And what you'll typically see if you look at a, any Chinese weightlifter or, or anyone that has a classic weightlifting squat that's typically very good for quadriceps development is that they're upright throughout the lift. You know, you don't see them leaning over like you see some, some people leaning over in their squat. And as a result, they're consistently pushing up and the quadriceps force is able to be expressed throughout the lift. Okay. So that's just something worth considering. And, you know, it, 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 that might mean that the barbell back squat is a great choice for you, or maybe it's not a great choice for you, or maybe you need to clear up some technique to create that stability in the meantime. But, you know, it, it goes further than from the barbell back squat to that leg press, you know, where you've got that extra bit of stability, you're able to stay stable in the seat. And you can probably even think of examples where that doesn't really happen. You know, some leg presses because of the incline or, or rather lack of incline of the seat, you start to slide up the seat as you push. And as a result, you can't maximize your, maximize your force production. And then, you know, you can go down to the, the finer, the finer details of stability where you're actually on a leg extension, you're holding yourself down with your hands, and you can even start to use a 
a seat belt around your waist to hold your hips down. And then that's when your quadriceps will really be forced to produce the maximum amount of force because it cannot be distributed anywhere else but onto those muscles. So anything that is responsible for moving the load is directly coming from that muscle group, which may not be the case on other exercises. So that's kind of a breakdown of, I guess, a spectrum from Bosu ball to barbell back squat to leg press to leg extension, all different levels on that that stability spectrum for the quads. Have you anything to, to add in there, Paddy? Because I'm gonna, we'll give more examples, but I want to let you No, speak. fam, I actually just enjoy listening to your voice. I haven't heard it in so long. I mean, it's been great in one way, but at least you talk a lot of sense. Too easy. But yeah, I want to give some people people practical take-home points with respect to stability because I know a man, Luke Hoffman, shared this ages ago as well where he said that um, if you had the choice between a good resistance profile and stability, you'd choose stability every time because you can essentially produce far more force. So like using a seatbelt of sorts on a leg extension or even simply holding yourself down really hard, really good way of optimizing the stability there in that exercise. But other things, other exercise examples are like, let's say a bent over barbell row versus a chest supported plate loaded row. You know, the plate load, the plate loaded row where your chest is supported. If you're able to really keep your sternum pressing, pressing against that pad, then you're going to be able to fully express the force of those muscles. So anything that is moving the weight is your actual muscles that, that you want, you know, your lats, your plantar, plantar humeral slash shoulder extensor extensors. Whereas on something like a barbell row, you might be producing the exact same external force, you know, so that you're lifting the same amount of, of weight. It, you know, you're moving it through space from A to B, but it's easier to compensate through extension of the trunk, through, you know, extension of the hips, through knee flexion or knee extension, or even coming up onto your tippy toes. So you'll see those compensations happen. Again, it doesn't mean the barbell row is a bad exercise. It just means that you might be better served if you're really looking to, to develop your lats to use a chest support of sorts if you can so that's another pretty good example of where that applies um trying to think of some other examples of, of where that would kind of fit in like even simple things like if you think about when you're using a, a chest press like if you were to be if you were doing one of those kind of standing up like freestanding chest presses where your back actually isn't supported and you're just kind of pushing away you're never going to be able to produce as much force as if you're sitting down with your back driven in and you've got that stable base and you see this on the bench press as well, where some people are just very poor at creating their own internal stability. So when they press, their shoulders pop up, they're not able to create a good arch in their back, and they're just kind of flimsy on the bench. And they're never going to be able to express the maximum amount of force from their muscles if they're in that kind of flimsy position. Um, another good example is the cable fly. Like if you if, if you've ever used like a Cybex Bravo cable fly or any cable fly where you can support your back or even if you do seated cable flies, you're going to be able to get more out of your chest because again, you're not doing that compensation that virtually everyone in every gym ever does when they're standing where they kind of throw their body forward as they do a cable fly. You're not able to do that compensation. So as a result, you have to use your muscles more. There's simply no other way, way about it. And I, the biceps one is another good example. If you if you use a dumbbell preacher curl, then you, firstly, you're not going to be able to use the same amount of load that you do with a standing alternating dumbbell curl. Um, but you're going to get far more out of your muscles because, again, you're isolating that muscle. You're moving the weight from A to B using only that muscle and giving it no other option because you've actually 
created that stability. So it is really important that you do think about stability when it comes to exercise selection. And it's not just about isolating everything with external objects, whether that's machines or whether it's supports through a bench or like an arm blaster or anything like that. It's about thinking, all right, even if I'm doing my compound exercises, like my deadlifts, like my squats, am I doing them optimally to stimulate the muscles that I'm trying to stimulate? Because, you know, the squat example of the hip shooting back happens all the time. The bench press example where people don't create stability and the shoulders move happens all the time. The deadlift is another very obvious one. When people pull from the floor, their hips shoot up, their back rounds. It's like that's a prime example of stability being lost in that system. And as a result, you're probably not going to see the best amount of glute and hamstring and adductor development that you could from that exercise if that's the goal. So, you know, this, this stuff is important and it's not about getting getting lost in it all and not knowing where to go. It's about thinking, all right, what can I take from that STARS checklist? And but, but, but even before that, are my exercises working for me? Like, you know, it, it's a very fundamental question, but if, if you're doing it, the same chest exercise for the last three years, your chest hasn't developed and all you have is shoulder soreness, you need to start asking yourself some questions. You're a smart boy, Gary. Very smart boy. So Bruh. basically, people need to look a little bit deeper, first of all, into their actual goals. And then they need to look a little bit deeper into the exercises they choose to achieve those goals. And then again, you need to look a little bit deeper into how they actually perform those exercises slash movements. And only then they can really have a quote unquote optimal program for them as an individual. Would you agree? Yes, sir. And let me reiterate as well. We spoke at the start about the mechanisms of hypertrophy and mechanical tension and why that was relevant. And I don't want you guys to just have heard that and then forgot how it linked to the rest of the conversation. So let me remind you, one of the things we were discussing was the kind of dogma of, of feeling like you need to do barbell exercises and they're the only way. And again, the reason this gets so lost is because when people hear that mechanical tension is the main driver of hypertrophy, where they then go from there is saying, right, I need to choose the exercises on which I can move the most weight. And that is inherently flawed because mechanic, mechanical tension refers to muscle fiber specific tension. It's not related, at least directly, to the external load. So, you know, for example, your, your leg extension could be the best way for you to put the maximum amount of mechanical tension on your muscle fibers, even though you're using, let's say, 60 kilos versus the 160 kilos that you can squat, okay? Because again, there's more muscles contributing there. You can use more momentum. There's less stability involved, both externally and potentially internally. And they're all factors that play into it. So you shouldn't be choosing exercises for based on the mechanism of mechanical tension with the thought in mind that, okay, I need to choose the exercises on which I can move the most weight. Because man, if I see one more person saying that they're choosing a compound easy bar curl for their, you know, predictor lift for biceps, because it's a compound exercise and they can move the most weight on that because mechanical tension is the prime driver of hypertrophy. Like that literally makes no sense because there's no, firstly, there's no, no such thing as like a compound bicep curl. Like, like it's not a thing. And as you said, Patty, it's not helpful to talk about compound exercises really anyway. But um, yeah, like it, it's just, it's just not a thing. Like a bicep curl, you're, fle you're flexing your elbow, you know, and you shouldn't be choosing the exercise on which you can move the most weight. I would even argue that it's probably a far better decision to choose the one that forces you to move the least weight. Because if you do a dumbbell preacher curl and it's very strict, you're not going to be able to lift that much weight. 
but it's going to be the one that leads to the most mechanical tension. So it's funny how it's it's sort of the opposite of what people actually say. It's like the exercises that lead to the most mechanical tension, if you standardize stability and all that, are often the ones that don't have the most external load. So it's, you know, this is just what you have to think about and just keep the whole checklist in mind. And, and one final thing, just to give you guys an example of this, the checklist in comparison, because I, I just have this written down from ages ago. But if you look at the leg extension versus like a back squat, okay, they're both quad exercises. And the knee-jerk response is to say that the back squat is going to be a better quad exercise. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not. But what you have to do is then look at like, right, spe- specificity. What is most specific to the quads? It's like, all right, the leg extension probably wins that one. It gets this box ticks, ticked from a time perspective what is going to be most time efficient. It's like, all right, within the context of an overall leg workout, if you're trying to train other muscle groups, then the back squat is going to win. It's going to get that box ticked. So the back, that, that's one for the back squat. Or if you're just trying to train your quads, maybe maybe you're even engaging in patellar tendon rehab or something like that. You're trying to be very specific. Maybe the leg extension is going to be more time efficient. From an accessibility perspective, I'm going to give that one to the back squat because most people are going to be able to access a barbell and that does become relevant in the long term. If you're someone that's looking to build a maximum amount of muscle, you want to choose exercises that you'll probably be able to access all of the time or most of the time, as opposed to one that you can only get to once a month. So the back squat realistically is most practical there. And then, you know, from that resistance perspective, you could argue it both ways because some leg extensions, they're just not great. They don't allow you the maximum amount of, of muscular tension because <clears throat> they're most difficult at the top and they don't allow for that drop off. So they might be good or bad, you know, the back squat, it might be, it has an appropriate, it might have an appropriate amount of resistance if you use bands, you know, it's not necessarily terrible at in, in its regular form, but again, it's just about thinking about it. Okay. It's not necessarily the best from a resistance profile perspective, but it doesn't mean it's a bad exercise from a stability perspective. You could have a terrible leg extension. You know, you might be able to hold yourself down the way the plate might be set up the foot plate. It might just be in a bad position. Um, and your knee might be way in front of the axis, it might lose a point there, or it might be the most perfect leg extension in the world. And then the back squat, it's like, it might be perfectly stable for you because you can create a lot of stability the way you're built completely upright, or your hips might shoot back every single time. So it's about taking yourself through the checklist, asking yourself those questions, and then you can begin to be a little bit more objective or at least as objective as you can be. I agree with you, guys, emphatically. <laughs> anyway. Too easy. I think that's enough i think people will hopefully have gotten quite a lot from that that's an hour uh long or thereabouts so let's move on well actually let's just quickly summarize again look into your goals look into the movements and exercises you select look into how you perform those exercises and then go through the checklist as a whole well uh, the whole time you should be going through that checklist that carry outline there um, but go through that as a whole and then you may need to change things depending on how you scored whatever you want to call it scored in that checklist whether you had access like you can do a thought experiment and be like how would I design the perfect program for my overall goals my overall schedule lifestyle etc and then you can kind of go okay well don't have access to that can't do that prefer that because again we're not even talking about the what we'll call the psychological side of things in terms of, you know, maybe a perfect exercise theoretically in terms of resistance uh, profile, whatever, everything else. 
is just an exercise that you fucking hate, you know, and you just never do it. You're always like, nah, I just I kind of skip over that. Uh, and yeah, there is that argument that, yeah, you're just doing that because it's a hard exercise, which means it's probably a productive exercise. But at the same time, if you just don't go to the gym because you fucking hate it, you're also not going to get results. So you do have to take that into account. But anyway, regardless of all that, how was your holiday, Gary? What did you do? My holiday was good. I had a great holiday. Thank you. It's nice to have come. It's nice to have come back to, to actual nice weather that wasn't expected. We mean? went to. Huh? What do you mean it wasn't expected? It's leaving certain weather. Every year, it's the exact same. True. <laughs> we went to. We went to Indonesia for those unaware. We started in Singapore, then we went to Bali and multiple islands around Bali. I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's. Uh, a good old spot but again give yourself some time if you are thinking of going there because there's actually a lot to do there's there's like nearly eighteen thousand islands in indonesia so there's quite a bit to to see we went to maybe like 10 different places so stayed in different places for like two to four days but it's a good place like if you're looking for a budget holiday because you can pretend that you're living like a baller like staying in like villas and stuff and it's literally still so cheap so it's it's good tech like got a little bit of training in the, over there ate somewhat well um at least for like the first three weeks and then the last week i was like right on my holidays how many how many pizzas can i fit on my mouth kind it's of disgusting. Thing. But <laughs> not really but um but yeah no it was it was fun it was good crack and it's nice to be back and how did your body composition train or change over there seeing as you were training less and seeing as you were maybe not eating quote unquote optimally did you notice just dramatic mm. dropping off of muscle did you notice that just fat just accumulated everywhere what what happened like it's actually a good point you i actually meant to do a post on this because you just reminded me but for those for those that might have forgotten i did do actually a a very aggressive diet before I went away. So um, it was, it, I was kind of interested when I went over how my appetite rip would be regulated. Was I going to completely rebound? Because I guess the classic idea that everyone has in their head is that when you diet that bit more aggressively, you're just destined to gain a load of weight afterwards. And I shouldn't gain any weight. I'm the exact same weight coming back as I did, as I was going, like literally the exact same. I think even the first two to three weeks, I probably, got a bit leaner because we were active because I was eating well. And then we were just a little bit more sedentary towards the end. So didn't necessarily get leaner, but um, probably around the same. So yeah, it, it was in, it was interesting. I think it was a good learning lesson for me that don't necessarily have to feel fear being that bit more aggressive with dieting for, for, for rebound weight gain or anything. Um, so yeah, it was, it was cool. Maintained it. Cause so you easy. did that before when you were younger, when you were only getting into this health and fitness stuff, you delighted aggressively yeah. for a holiday and then you got morbidly obese, didn't you? Essentially. Yeah. I remember coming back feeling like I was literally swollen. I think I ended up gaining like a, about proper, like a, at least a legit five kilos. But I think it was like probably like eight kilos of, by the, of water weight. And it was just, it was just rotten an overall rotten experience. But yeah, I, I think, I think to be honest, like it's more so related to psychology than anything else when it comes to that sort of rebound weight gain. Like, yeah, if you diet for a show and you get ridiculously lean and you've been chronically dieting and you've got, you know, down regulation of thyroid hormones and other hormones and all those physiological changes, like if you've got that going on, then yeah, that, that's going to contribute to it. But um, I think I think psychology plays a big role there in that. Like, I remember like going on a holiday. I remember it was just like a pretty shitty summer for me anyway and i think i was kind of at that point early on in the gym days i was more like 
living living for the gym like identified with the gym to a degree and then going away on holidays was like oh this is my one you know break you know because I was probably more in the religious bro bodybuilding days then so when I did go away it was like right I'm not going to be eating ice cream for the rest of the year until I go on holidays again so maybe I'll just you know eat loads of ice cream now so I think psychology is a big part of it and again if, if you've actually listened to our podcast and you listen to you know our, our discussions of flexible dieting how to approach your diet in a healthful way like actually enjoying health healthy eating I think that'll set you up pretty well but I think like it does go beyond that as well in terms of like actually enjoying your life to a degree like I think when I went away on holidays, it wasn't like, this is my holiday. This is my break from the burden of the everyday. It was like, right, I'm going away. I'm going to enjoy time with my girlfriend. And that's kind of what we're doing. Whereas when I come home, like, yeah, that's cool too. So I think that the less of a difference between your enjoyment of your real life and your enjoyment of your holiday, the less of a chance of waking. I don't have any studies to, to prove that, but I think it's definitely uh, plausible and probably as important as any of your true dietary considerations. That's a very fair analysis, young Gary. You're wise beyond your years. Um, the people are interested. What are you doing going forward? I heard, I heard a rumor that you're going to bulk up to 300 pounds. Can you not see already? No. Do you not think I look juicy? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm just starting a gaining phase. I actually, you know, I actually hate the term gaining phase, not to be honest. So I'm just going to start calling it bulking. Just, it's just bulking, bro. To take it back to the bro days so on, on that there bulk hype um planning on doing that for the foreseeable future try to gain a little bit of muscle mass because i think people will trust us more then and yeah it'd be good crack i'm going to belarus in like five weeks for four weeks so that's obviously going to be a little bit of a kick up the ass eating a low protein diet low vegetable diet and not really getting in much training but sure look it's we call it an extended deload also you've said it about I'm going to say four times in this entire podcast. The word deload doesn't exist in the English language. I'm just putting it out there for everyone listening to this. You kept saying it when you were talking about the bottom position in like a bench press, like, oh, it deloads there. No, it unloads there because deload, deload is not a oh, word. No. Tell me how you're going to deload your gun of its bullets. Fucking stupid. Or I'm going to deload these boxes off this truck. Fucking idiot, Gary. Anyway. It's fucking bodybuilding terminology, bro. We've got our own language, yeah, bro. Um, <laughs> no, I'm actually just ripping the piss. So I do use the word deload myself, but it is not a word when you use it incorrectly so many times. It's fucking disgusting. Um, but anyway, so you're going on this fucking major key, juicy bulk, going to get absolutely huge. Is this somewhat counter to... Essentially. Your, no, is this somewhat counter to your overall philosophy in terms of being healthy? No, <laughs> because I'm not going to be the, the YOLO bulk guy. Like essentially what I mean when I say bulking slash gaining, it's literally like a 200 to 300 calorie surplus at the most because that's realistically all that you actually, like all that most people should be aiming for if you're looking, if you're any way over a beginner and you're looking to actually gain a decent amount of muscle mass and not just body fat because, you know, you don't want to be overfeeding like in and of itself, but you also don't want to be accumulating excess body fat because both of those things come with their own downsides from a health perspective. So I think you can very much blend the two from a health 
a health standpoint, provided you are actually still doing the things that we always recommend, you know. So just because you start a gaining phase does not mean you start eating cookies all around you. It means that you stick with your nutrient-dense diet, but you increase the quantity slightly. You still get in your 10 to 30 servings of fruit and veg a day. <laughs> well, <laughs> 20 to 30 if you're serious. <laughs> At least. But um, yeah, if, if you stick to those things and, and as well, keeping up your cardiovascular fitness, like I did 45 minutes of cardio today and I think I think 99% of lifters do not do that when they're gaining because they're just like, oh, I know I need to be so sedentary, bro, um, when that's probably counterproductive from both, even both a health perspective and I agree with you, Gary. Perspective. Um, I just want to be as, I just want to be as strong as humanly possible. That's that's all I really care about. I just want to be able to move effectively like a, a human should be able to move. I just want to be healthy and yeah, I really, muscle gain doesn't enthuse me that much. Like, yeah, I kind of want to get a little bit bigger, but I really care. Like, I'm 95 kilos. Like, what am I going to get? Like, 100 kilos? I do also want to. I do also want to run a marathon. I should. I should clarify that. Yeah, maybe they're counterproductive goals, but anyway. Um, yeah, we're also doing fat rate. That's only like 5k. Like, so it's too easy to walk in the park. Boring. Anyway, where can people find us, Gary? Where can people find you? Do we have anything coming up in the near to next future? Um, well, I suppose the first thing to mention to the peeps, I guess, is that we've just kind of spent, you know, a lot of time and effort revamping our website and stuff. I'm not sure if we had time to mention that in the podcast since, I don't, yeah, because I think it was while I was away that, that all that got finished. I don't know. You, you, you left us and just decided, left. you know, fuck everyone. Well, yeah, um, the, the, website, the website has been updated. What we're currently doing is putting out a lot more free content. Um, so for you guys, you know, to, to get stuck into it, because me and Patty are off over the summer, obviously. So you can access our content um, in article format, video format, and podcast format. So some additional discussion posts on those media. Um, and also, we've been kind of, you know, revamping the militia. So, you know, we've got our new members hub section on the site. Um, with those updates and we're putting in our lessons there as always so the you know this week we've got some lessons coming up on the liver and its re- its role in digestion and assimilation written by the wonderful Paddy Farrell and then we've got an article on the most important article ever the anatomy of the biceps and the anterior arm musculature um, or the arms in general <laughs> so that so that's this week's anatomy installment so, so they're the kind of the main things that are rolling in the militia and obviously you know if it's it's a euro a day seven euro a week 25 euro a month if you want to get involved so you're just a greasy salesman now. that's very well uh but yeah you can find us all on you know social media wherever generally we're under triage method that's skinny guys on instagram i'm patty underscore farrell underscore but realistically i just post pictures of me squatting sometimes doing handstands in random places so you won't be finding informational content there. I do all my informational content in the militia. Gary's a little bit more, I don't know, nice with his time. He gives out a lot of free information on his Instagram. I just don't, I'm just not sound like that. Mm. I don't believe it's me being nice. I think I'm just, uh, I think I'm secretly just looking for validation. I don't want it to seem altruistic. That's weird. Anyway, wrapping it up here. <laughs> Peace out, guys. As per usual, if you have any questions, actually, Nearly forgot. Oh, yes. Questions. This is your job, Gary. This is actually your job. You're lucky I reminded you. So we, we, <laughs> we need questions for the free articles, the free podcast, free video, whatever. Uh, Gary, do we have a form for people to fill in? Or what is the best method 
seeing as this is your task, what is the method for people yes. to sorry, get yes, questions sorry. into us? Yeah, so essentially what we would like you to do is literally, if you have any question, no matter how short or long it is, like obviously we're going to have to break it down to some sort of fundamental question, but if you have any questions for us that you think, or that you think, all right, I've looked for an answer to this. I can't really find one online. I'd like one. Or I think this would be interesting to hear your guys' thoughts on or whatever. If you've got a question like that, email it to info at triagemethod.com. What we will do is compile all those questions into a nice document and then work through them over the next couple of months slash years, depending on how many questions you guys ask. Um, and then you'll be able to access those in article, video, or podcast format. Um, obviously, depending on the actual type of question, because I think some questions probably not a point in doing a podcast on them if they're like exercise specific or something. But yeah, you can do that info at triagemethod.com and then you get to have an actual input into the type of content that we produce because otherwise me and Patty will just start writing about things that we enjoy, which are realistically not very exciting for you guys. Yeah, not really exciting at all. Um, also, just on the fact that you did say it's going to take weeks, months, years, like if you are looking for an answer to your question in relation to I need this answer right now. Like that, that is literally what we do in the yeah. forum in the triage militia. You know, we're answering people's questions every day. So if you are looking for a specific answer to your question in maybe a more, we'll say personalized uh, approach, then I would get into the militia or get in contact with coaching. Cause we do still have coaching spaces open. Um, we do have a few more as, at least until the end of the summer anyway. Um, but if you do have specific questions for you and you want to know how to design a good program, how to tailor your nutrition, whatever it is, get your ass into the militia. If it's a question, you're kind of like, ah, look, I like what the boys do, but not really ours paying for it. Then obviously get your questions in. We'll answer them on the podcast, the free articles, free videos. Anything else to say, Gary? Um, the only other thing is that we do appreciate it when you guys like share snaps of the podcast and you're listening to it share it with your people your peeps on instagram stories or whatever so we do really appreciate that so do continue posting those or if you've never done that it does actually help the podcast to spread a little bit because that's kind of how where the mouth gets around because obviously podcasts are a little bit different and that people don't just i guess randomly search and find a podcast as much as they would maybe an instagram page or something like that so do that for us and if you haven't subscribed or leave left a review that would also really be appreciated. It does help us get the word out a little bit. Right. Further. And that is us signing off. Peace out.